the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. I'm Hayley Alice-Roberts. And in this episode we're continuing our delve into werewolf movies for spooky season. Shall we get something better than Cursed this week? Oh god I hope so. Anyway, what we're looking at this week is 2000's Ginger Snaps directed by John Fawcett. After the debacle that was 2005's Cursed, which we covered in the previous episode, we're rewinding five years to a Canadian werewolf horror movie. It's Ginger Snaps, which was directed by John Fawcett and stars, amongst others, Catherine Isabel, Emily Perkins and Mabey Rogers. So we both rewatched Ginger Snaps from the classic DVD that was released in the UK by Mosaic entertainment so i'm going to read the synopsis from the back of this dvd for you as i feel this is the best description of this movie the fitzgerald sisters are a team best friends and self-styled outcasts obsessed with dying and bound by a childhood pact to stay together forever they loathe their mind-numbing existence in the suburb of bailey downs then one night ginger is attacked by a snarling rabid beast that generates a tremendous change in Ginger. Driven by a mounting inexplicable bloodlust, Ginger transforms from a disdainful outsider into an aggressive young woman on the prowl. A terrifying force quickly takes hold of Ginger's body and mind, threatening to destroy the sisters' special bond and the lives of those around them. Now, the Times said at the time in 2001 that this is a smart and quirky modern-day interpretation of the werewolf myth there hasn't been a brister as perky, surprising and inventive as this since An American Wolf in London. And I am completely 100% inclined to agree with that. I had forgotten how much I love this film until I stuck that DVD in to watch it for the podcast. This is essentially a coming of age movie. It's a feminist movie. It's very much an allegory for puberty in teenage girls. And I think it's conveys it incredibly well while adding in those horror elements in order to convey the beginning of womanhood and I think the werewolf is a very interesting monster to use for this because it's that whole transformative period in a young woman's life from 
being a young girl into a teenager, into an adult. I think it is the perfect movie monster to encapsulate that. And the performances in this are just incredible. Catherine Isabel, Emily Perkins, what a duo. Their performances as the sisters, it's very believable. I would believe that they were sisters in real life, the way their chemistry works on screen. This is just a great film. And I can't believe when we were talking about Cursed last week that I was feeling like there's not been a strong werewolf movie since American Werewolf. How could I have forgotten about this? This is an indie horror gem. And it still holds up over 20 years later. I was so pleased that we chose this one. Yes, after the terrible time that we had with Cursed, this is a refreshing change. And it is one of the best werewolf movies out there. It gives American Werewolf a run for its money. I'm not saying that it is better than American Werewolf. In certain ways, it is actually, I think, better than American Werewolf. It deals with its themes in a, in a slightly less straightforward way than American Werewolf. American Werewolf is a great audience movie and has a lot of gags and a lot of scares in it. This takes a slightly more subtle route. It couches the werewolf myth in, as you say, coming of age. It's a high school movie in a lot of ways, but it's a really twisted high school movie. So you do get these cliques that you see in high schools, but these cliques are fairly nastily dispatched by Ginger, especially the bully of the piece, Trina, who is targeting the weaker people in school, of which Brigitte is one of them. And to be perfectly honest, from the moment Trina comes on screen, you're thinking you want her to get a comeuppance. And she really does get a comeuppance. Not only is she smacked around at first by Ginger, she is then killed in a quite comical way. You think that Ginger is going to do it, but in the end, Trina actually does for herself by being overconfident and trying to bully her way out of a situation again which we will get to in due course. But yeah, I had a really good time with this. It's paced really well. I think out of the horror movies I've seen recently, the pacing is absolutely spot on in this because it gives you just enough character development before you get the attack. And then the rest of the movie is dealing with Ginger's slow transformation into the werewolf. It's not like American Werewolf in that he transforms immediately and then goes back to human form. This is a gradual transformation over the course of the movie, which is really effective. And, hallelujah, practical effects. No CGI. There was an insistence on practical effects in this movie. And it makes the horror sequences so much better. The gore is sparingly used, but it's quite nasty. And all the werewolf effects are really cool. At the start, you don't see much of the monster. The original werewolf that is attacking people in Bailey Downs gets a fairly ignominious end. It gets run over by a van while it's chasing Brigitte and Ginger. And you don't see a huge amount of it, but there's a reason for that, because you want they want to save the real transformation for the end of the movie. One thing I will say about this movie, though, it's something that we don't normally like in movies, pet death. There are so many dead dogs in this movie. There's a dead dog before the opening titles. There are dead dogs littering this story. It's part of the tale that the werewolf is going around attacking pets to start with and it progresses to humans. But if you don't like seeing lovable family pets dispatched off screen but still gruesomely, there's a lot of shots of 
the aftermath, you might want to look away a couple of times in this movie. Having said that, it is part of the plot. It's not used as a shock tactic. It's part of the story and it's part of the ongoing tale. So I can forgive Ginger Snaps this. And it makes the early attacks all the more effective because it goes places you don't expect it to go very, very early on. And it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. So if you haven't seen Ginger Snaps, then I would highly recommend that you do because it is a movie that should have been bigger than it was. I do remember it was a fairly decent success in the UK. I don't think it replicated that success around the world. Having said that, I went to see this movie in the cinema when it came out and I was the only person in the cinema. It's one of two times I've been the only person in the cinema. Ginger Snaps was one and I remember going to see it one lunchtime and had the cinema to myself and a darkened cinema for a horror movie is absolutely perfect. I got my own private screening of this movie. And I do remember coming out because I was the only person there. And at the start of it, the guy had said, we'll still run the film. I was thinking, well, you know, yeah, I want you to run the film just because I'm the only person there. I'm not going to go out. Anyway, at the end, the guy came in as the credits were rolling and said, what did you think of the movie? And I was like, it's brilliant. I don't understand why I'm the only person watching this movie. That is a great story. But yeah, I imagine that this movie has one hell of an extensive list on doesthedogdie.com. As Darren said, normally we don't appreciate pet death, but it's very much in context with this. And I think because the gore is so unapologetically brutal, it works in its favour because when you see the entrails of these dogs it leaves more to the imagination of brutality that's going on with the werewolf. So I actually didn't mind it this time. I will say when it's used effectively and properly, I'd say I don't have a problem with that. So for me, I came to this movie a little later. So my backstory of it, I was at Celluloid Screams. I believe this would have been around 2012 and we watched a movie called Excision. And a lot of people likened that movie to Ginger Snap, so my interest was peaked. So I went and purchased a DVD copy that I still have, which I've just read back to you. So that's how I came to it. So I came to it in my early 20s and absolutely loved this film. I remember thoroughly enjoying it. And as I said, like, I can't believe that I'd almost forgotten about it. It was like a fresh rewatch last night, seeing this. I think... It is the ideal sleepover movie, especially for young girls. I think if you're looking for something relatable, as long as you can handle the gore, then I think this is very much a film aimed at young girls. But it should come with a bit of a trigger warning because there is a lot of reference to suicide in it, which might upset some more sensitive viewers. So there is that to bear in mind. But I think just the portrayal of the female characters in this is so well done. And the writer of the movie, she wasn't actually a horror fan herself. And when this was pitched to her, she was like, nobody's going to like this. Nobody's going to want to watch it. However, she got basically told, write the horror film you personally would want to see. And that's why these characters are so strongly written and so layered and so watchable. You just can't wait to see what's going to happen next with this film. It's just got that excitement value about it. And it's just that really cool indie horror vibe. I just love the whole atmosphere of it. As you say, the gradual build-up of the transformation is it's just pitch perfect because it's good that they don't 
use it too early because I think that would have taken away a lot from this film. The fact that we only get it at the end, I think it makes it that more poignant because it, it is quite a poignant ending. It's very bittersweet. It's even a slight tearjerker. I did get a little bit choked up, I'm not going to lie, when it comes to the end of this film because you've gone on the journey with these characters and what's happened to them is no fault of their own. And you can understand where they come from. They're hormonal, they're living in this suburban town where, as you say, there's all, all the stereotypical cliques. It's a miserable teenage existence and they've got an overbearing mother and a passive father who doesn't really get involved in anything. So um, I think it's just everything is too much for these girls and their outlet to this is death. They take photos of themselves in really creative ways, committing suicide and... Even on the back of the DVD, you have the image of Ginger being impaled by the fence. And I mean, I think the start of this movie could be off-putting for some people if you're not used to horror because it's very much in your face. You've got the dog entrails. It literally starts with dog entrails. And then it moves on to seeing these girls take these really graphic, creative photos of themselves. But it's really cool. It's really edgy. This is just a great horror film and... Why is this not on my favourites list? This should be, because I just had the best time with it. And yeah, it's basically the best werewolf film since American Werewolf in London. Uh, that is that is my opinion. But it's got a female perspective as well. So I think these films, as a double bill, werewolf double bill, fit really nice together. They do, absolutely, yeah. You've got the male side and you've got the female side. And the approach is very different in both movies. As you say... That opening sequence where it's just a montage of the photos that they've taken pretending to be dead in various locations and having killed themselves in various creative ways. And then it cuts to them being shown in a class project situation. So you've got them on this overhead projector and the teacher is absolutely horrified with what he's seen because he just can't handle the fact that his students might be contemplating any of this stuff and have this running through their minds. Again, that kind of sets the dark comic tone for the rest of the film a lot of it is hilarious in a very twisted way the family dinner scenes are all absolutely hilarious the fact that you've got as you say the overbearing mother the father that just doesn't want any part of anything he just wants to have a quiet life he wants to sit back and the fact that they're talking about ginger maybe getting a period at the dinner table the father is completely freaked out by this he doesn't want any of that conversation at all he would rather be anywhere else than at that dinner table and his character continues that way throughout the movie i'm not saying that the male characters are pushed to the back because they're not you do have male characters especially the character of sam he's takes quite a main role in it but it is a movie that lets the female characters take center stage for quite a lot of the time and it gives the werewolf movie an interesting spin because you have these different types of women as well. And it's not saying everybody is an angel in this. I mean, as we've said, Trina's awful. Trina's absolutely awful in this movie. But it's really well written in terms of characters. You've got a wide spectrum of different types of female character all interacting with each other. And... If Karen Walton, the writer, isn't a big fan of horror in general, she's written a bloody good horror movie for somebody who's not a big fan of it. It's really, really well written. And I think the fact that she probably isn't the biggest fan of horror drove her to write something slightly different. 
but something that still really works as a horror movie as well. So I think it's something that's... I'm not going to say it's a character piece first and a horror movie second, because there's lots of horror in this, but it's not really all that concerned with things like jump scares and troweling on the gore. It's trying to make you think about what's going on as well. And it wants you to engage with all the characters first and foremost, rather than just lining them up to kill them off. Yeah, it's got really strong character development in this and not just the main characters. We get to know everybody, I feel. So you get really invested in it. And I think comparing that to what we saw in Cursed, where we didn't give a shit about anyone, we just wanted the film to end. This, as I say, is so layered and dynamic. And we get an insight into their family life as well. It really goes in depth in what makes these characters tick. And we don't often get that in horror movies. So I think for me, this is the ideal horror movie for me because I really want to care about what I'm going into. I want to care about these people. And if the movie makes me do that and also provides buckets of blood too, I'm going to be a very, very satisfied horror fan. So this definitely has that element for me. And it's just special. It's just a special movie. There's just something about it. It's a gem. It's one of those underrated gems in the genre. And I think everybody who's a genre fan, and even if you're not, I think you should see it because it's so clever in how it uses its horror element to portray coming of age, basically. I do really like it when those two genres come hand in hand because you've got some really interesting narratives that you can get from it. This just does it so well. This is like the template for that. Interestingly, I think why it possibly went under the radar for me, I mean, 2001, I was only 11. So, I mean, it would have been ideal to watch it at that age when, you know, you're in the throes of puberty. But this film did generate a bit of controversy in the UK and the US as well. It was one of those films that struggled to get funding due to the Columbine massacre because distributors didn't want to take a chance on a movie that portrayed school violence, which is understandable. And allegedly it was banned from some cinemas in the UK. Obviously not the cinema Darren went to, but maybe nobody else got the memo. (laughs) So I found that quite fascinating to hear that. But then once it was released on VHS in the UK, it was one of the fastest selling horror VHSs of the time. So it's really interesting that it's got that juxtaposition that it didn't do too well in cinemas. But once people got hold of it and word spread, it's grown a very strong cult following over the years. Yeah, the cinemas in Sheffield must have been made of sterner stuff in 2001 and thought, yeah, we're not going to ban this. Let's just show it. The actual teenager-on-teenager violence in this movie doesn't take up an awful lot of the film. The werewolf attacks are generally on adults, really. The counsellor, the very smug school counsellor gets it. Now, I'm not saying he deserves to get torn to bits in his own office, but he is quite smug. The janitor doesn't deserve anything. I mean, the janitor really gets killed just because Ginger thinks that he's looking at Brigitte in a weird way. I'm not quite sure he is, but... He's there for body count. He is, yes, exactly. It ups the body count, and it is quite an entertaining kill. And it just shows where Ginger's going as well, that she's starting to lose control. So it does move the plot on that way as well. So she's started just killing for sport, basically. At the start of the movie, when she's killing, it's kind of a primeval instinct, but she starts to enjoy it. So she starts bumping off people, partly because she's driven to it, but partly because she actually wants to as well. And it's a pretty nuanced performance by Catherine Isabel, 
who kind of goes from this pseudo edgy teen who's a little bit anti-establishment but not really in any sort of extreme way to somebody who really is taking charge and nobody can stand in a way and the question that he poses in the final act is is she completely out of control or can Brigitte appeal to her better nature and try to stop her from killing everything in sight and you're not sure which way it's going to go until the end because even in the showdown there are points at which you think actually is anybody going to make it out of here it doesn't opt for that neat ending it doesn't provide an easy way out for any of the characters so you do get this emotional punch at the end that you're half hoping doesn't happen but there's some inevitability about the way it's going to go and it is pretty much a perfect ending it is quite emotional I think I probably did have a little bit of a sob in the cinema because it was only me there and I thought well that's fine it's only me I can cry as much as I want at the end of this movie nobody's going to see me that adage has now gone to its logical extreme so anything that remotely sets me off I can quite happily burst into tears in a cinema full of people as anybody who's been to celluloid screams will tell you great performance from Catherine Isabel great performance from Emily Perkins Mimi Rogers as the mum is hilarious she is just so out of touch and everything she does she thinks is amazing even to the point where when she doesn't do anything she's told that not doing anything is amazing and she will believe it completely great performance from Mimi Rogers we have actually met Catherine Isabel this is a fact we met her during a cinema tour of American Mary and I have to say I'm not normally starstruck with actors but I must say that when somebody said have you met Katie and I turned around and Catherine Isabel is standing right in front of me I genuinely did not know what to say yeah it was really really cool to meet her and actually I did have a photo op booked with her at Horrorcon, which was due to go ahead in 2020 but it got cancelled for reasons that i do not have to disclose so i would have had a picture with her but it's not to be yet maybe one day maybe she'll return but it was really cool to meet her and yeah see her career progress and the performance in american mary as well i mean it's equally as iconic as her performance as ginger and it was crazy seeing how young she looked in this movie as well like it's just it's really so long ago that you just forget how people age basically but yeah we are very lucky we've had the opportunities to meet her and interestingly both Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins they've kind of grown up together as well so they already had that chemistry there they've also both independently starred in episodes of X-Files and Supernatural so I think their career paths have kind of aligned quite closely they were the last to audition for these roles I believe and they were cast on exactly the same day I think it was just hitting that pot of gold with them when they entered that audition room after searching for the right actresses for these roles. Talking about casting of this movie, I have to mention it. Allegedly, Tim Allen was up for a role in Ginger Snaps. I mean, the two things do not compute in my brain. I mean, is this for real? Was Tim Allen genuinely going to be in an indie horror movie? I just can't imagine it. But I have to mention it because we know how much Darren loves Tim Allen on this podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that Tim Allen wasn't in this movie i don't understand why he would have been the father either i can't see him in that role at all because not only lines (laughs) yeah he doesn't really say anything and tim allen isn't that kind of actor either 
as much as I don't rate Tim Allen as a performer or a comedian or as a human being, to be perfectly honest, I still can't see him in that role. It's not it's not a good fit for Tim Allen. It may be a rumour. Tim Allen seems to have been attached to lots of movies over the years. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, for instance. He could have been in Mrs. Doubtfire. Maybe it was just a rumour put out by Tim Allen's PR department saying, like, let's think of a load of good movies and let's say that <laughs> Tim Allen was possibly on the casting list for this movie. Tim Allen was successful at the time. He had a successful TV series. Maybe he was associated with this indie Canadian horror movie. I don't get the link at all. It may be right. I don't see it. And also, going back to Mrs Doubtfire, allegedly Robin Williams was up for a part in this as well. And that, to me, is insane. I think he was up for the part of the guidance counsellor. I mean, I can sort of see it, but I think they would have had to make that role a bit more if you're going to have someone like Robin Williams in it. I just don't think these big celebrity actors really fit with this movie. I think it's kind of cool that you have got unknowns or people that are a bit more on the indie film side rather than big Hollywood stars. It doesn't need big Hollywood stars. This movie just has the right cast. And as I say, it's like you really care about the characters in this. And even going back to talking about the janitor, I mean, he has a very low amount of screen time but even in his death scene you do really feel for this guy because he's such an innocent bystander does not deserve what is happening to him but and but it's just the emoting on the actor just makes you feel really sorry for him this movie just does everything right it's what a horror movie should be doing it's got the blood and guts and the splatter and that's used very sparingly as we've discussed it's incredibly morbid and twisted it uses its concept effectively everything about this is just when all the elements merge together and just make a wonderful film. And this is a beautiful film. This is a beautiful horror film. And I will stand by that because it just looks amazing. As you say, the pacing is perfect. And we've just got this really exciting build up to the werewolf reveal. The werewolf reveal at the end, it's not perfect, but it, it still looks pretty good in terms of practical effects in the early 2000s. I will say that. It looks a lot better than, say, CGI using Cursed. I don't know we're comparing it to Cursed a lot, but this is the movie Cursed could only have wished it could have been. Imagine if we'd had American Werewolf, Ginger Snaps, and then Cursed was the kind of third lightning strike of great werewolf movies. Like, we could have had an amazing trilogy on our hands here of triple bill films to watch, but obviously that wasn't to be. But it really should have taken notes from this, because this is the one that is the cool, edgy late 90s vibe the idea actually came in 1995 was when it started its development and obviously it took a few years to get its funding so that's why it is an early 2000s film the trivia on imdb suggests that the movie itself is set in 1993 it definitely does have a 1990s feel more than a 2000s feel i would say yes yeah, because of when the full moon is and they've worked out that the only date it could have been was in 1993 and it does feel like it's a 90s movie in many ways. I don't yeah. think it's kind of lost that 90s high school vibe. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, it adds to the experience. It's a shame that Curse didn't take his place in the holy trinity of werewolf movies. It took its place in the holy shit of werewolf movies, but not the holy trinity. There's a nice nod to the craft as well in this movie. There's a slow motion walk through the high school that Ginger does. And the minute she did that, I thought, 
that's the craft. Now I don't know if I, that was per I don't know if that was purposely done or if it was a nod or it was just something they thought it'll be very cool to have Catherine Isabel walking in slow motion down a corridor full of high school students. Whatever the reason, it looks great and it's a really iconic moment in the movie. In a movie that's full of iconic moments, because if you watch this, there are things that will stick in your mind long after the credits have rolled. It is a really good horror movie, but it's also a really well-written story as well. So if you're not generally a fan of horror movies, as Haley has suggested, you may take issue to some of the gore. It is quite bloody in places, but you should stick around for the character development and some quite dark humour, but you will find some of it funny. It's not played for laughs per se, but you can tell that the humour is being played up in some of the sequences, even though they're not saying, hey, look, we're trying to make you laugh here, because they're not. It's just how the scenes develop. As I said before, the dinner sequences, there's nothing especially funny about the dinner sequences, not the way they're written, but the way they're played is hilarious. As I've said before, particularly Mimi Rogers, who is a very good sport in this movie and does things like finds fingers in the fridge and then passes them off as just a, a sort of a prank, even though she knows that something really horrible is going on and that she's probably going to have to step in to try and help her daughters out in some way. I'm pretty sure it's a part that Mimi Rogers wanted to play. I think she was quite up for playing this. At the time, I guess that she's probably the biggest name in the cast, but she doesn't turn up and give her, hey, I'm the star of this movie. Hey, look at me. I'm doing the cameo in this performance. No, her performance is just perfectly pitched alongside everybody else, and she doesn't allow her character to overwhelm anything else. The MVP for me is Catherine Isabel, closely followed by Emily Perkins, but you should not discount Mimi Rogers. She's not got a lot of screen time, but she's really, really good in it. Yeah, she's memorable every time she appears on screen. And it's just that typical embarrassing mum, really, that the teenagers are rolling their eyes at and they don't want to confide in. So it's very well played. And as you say, the dark humour comes in and it's played very subtly. And it does make you laugh, even if it wasn't necessarily intending to. It's just done so well. It's not in your face or anything like that. And then, of course, you've got the farcical scenes in it as well, like when they need to dispose of the body of the school bully. They have to do a really quick clear up and cover for themselves. And then so you've got this body hiding in the freezer and then they're trying to distract the mum while she's trying to put the meat in the freezer. And then you've also got Ginger lying there in the milk and the blood. Yeah, it is icky, but it's good icky. I'm not the most squeamish of people, so nothing in this made me feel sick in any way like that. But I can imagine how, if you haven't got a strong stomach, that it, it could. But I just love all the imagery in this and... As we've discussed the craft as well, I think this would be an excellent double bill with the craft if you're looking for some supernatural teen metaphor for growing up. I think these go hand in hand perfectly. I just love horror and I love how horror basically gives a perspective on real life issues. And I think this is one of those films that really confronts that. It is a confrontational film. There's no doubt about it, but it does it so well. And as I say, it's not doing it by being in your face or trying to prove a point in any way. It just does what it needs to do. It is absolutely relatable in terms of girlhood. And I mean, I was once a teenage girl, so I completely get what Ginger is going through, apart from obviously turning into a, a monster. 
but that's the cool side of it because you can then relate to it in a different way by just having this fantastical allegory again something real that's going on so you can be like yeah i could be a werewolf too i was obsessed with werewolves when i was growing up after seeing american werewolf that was it that was my favorite movie monster for everything that's negative about turning into a werewolf and having this bloodlust and ending up killing loads of people it's also an escape it's also a superpower so ginger is seduced by that superpower that she gains she doesn't use it for good of course because it's a horror movie but there is that feeling of yes now i've got the advantage on everybody i can get revenge and that does play into the second half of the story a lot of people have actually said and i can kind of see it they said there's kind of a cronenbergian edge to this and I get it with the Canadian setting and the kind of bleakness and the and the very cold buildings in the movie and the sort of body horror stuff. I think because Cronenberg comes from Canada and because this is a Canadian movie, every Canadian horror movie, somebody says, oh, it's got shades of Cronenberg. And I guess every Canadian horror movie filmmaker is influenced by David Cronenberg to some extent. But I don't see the Cronenberg elements in this as much as some other people do. It just happens to have some body horror in. Lots of Canadian movies have got body horror in. Not to diss Cronenberg's work as a filmmaker, he's one of my favourites, but every time that you get a Canadian horror movie, you always get somebody popping up and saying, it's just like David Cronenberg. No, it's not. It's just a Canadian horror movie. Not everything has to be Cronenberg. One of the other Canadian filmmakers that does show up in the end credits is Vincenzo Natale, who directed Cube and is doing the storyboard artwork here. Decent, proven film talent behind the camera as well. I had to check because I thought, is that actually the Vincenzo Natale? It must be. I did check. It is the guy who directed Cube three years earlier. There we go. That's another fun fact for this podcast. Yeah, I think that it was vaguely inspired by Cronenberg, as you say, just because that's one Canadian horror movie filmmaker, it's going to be exactly the same as another. Some people just like to liken things like that for hype. So there we go. But Ginger Snaps is very well loved to this day. It's got a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, which isn't bad. But if we head over to Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 90% tomato meter and a 78% audience score. So the critics even loved this. But I think it's because it is an intelligent horror movie. And it's like these are so few and far between. This is, as I say, the kind of movie where a lot of horror movies can be so throwaway. And I will just get bored if you just stick a bunch of vacious teenagers in a cabin in the woods that have no personality, that all their intentions are uh, just drinking and having sex. There's no character development and then they get killed off. It's just a gore spectacle for me. I can take it or leave it. But something with true depth like Ginger Snaps, that is going to be something that is going to pick my interest and is something that I'm really going to enjoy. So I fall between the throwaway gore slashers and the art house horror that just tries to be a little bit too arty. I'm like in between that, basically. That's where I fall on the spectrum of my horror enjoyment. So it's got to be something with a great story, great pacing, great effects, with characters that I can really invest in. And I know I've probably said that many times on this podcast, but it's so satisfying to me to be able to rewatch a movie like this. And it just, it feels so nostalgic too. It's like, it just takes you back to that era and those simpler times, no technology. Well, the technology was in its infancy, but 
it doesn't focus on technology in this film apart from a really old camera it just takes you back to that time where things just felt a lot easier yeah it is a more innocent time even if it is a more innocent time where teenagers are being attacked and faculty members are being torn apart and their blood spread over their own office and dogs yeah (laughs) but i do agree the critics probably enjoy this because it's actually got something to say this movie it works as a piece of drama even if it wasn't a horror movie it would still work as a piece of drama the fact that it is a horror movie is a bonus for people like me because it's a well-written well-acted well-paced piece of work that also has horror in it i'm a sucker for this sort of stuff because as you say as much as I like a slasher movie and the fact that you get dumb teenagers doing dumb things and getting killed in creative ways, that's fine. I can watch that. But for me to really latch on to a horror movie, it's got to have something else to it. It's either got to be very strange or it's got to be quite confrontational in some way. I do like quite confrontational horror movies. This is confrontational to a degree, but as you say, it's not smacking you over the head with it. It's laying its ideas out, but it's not prodding you and saying, oh, look, look how edgy we've been, look how edgy we've been, which I appreciate more. I don't like these horror movies that set out to be controversial and are telling you every 30 seconds that they're controversial. So what? Stop telling me that you're controversial. Just do something and I'll make up my own mind. This one doesn't have any of those problems. It's just a good story, well told, and it's got practical effects in it, which is great. I don't think CGI is the monster that some people think it is, but I would take practical prosthetic effects over CGI any day of the week and proving that they just look better at films like this, films like American Werewolf. Even though the werewolf transformation isn't as spectacular as American Werewolf in London, this, I would rather take slightly dodgy physical effects over computer generated ones any day. I can give a film a lot of leeway if it's trying to do things practically. They may not always be convincing, but I like the fact that the stuff looks tactile. The blood squirts are actually real. The monster, despite the fact that it might look a little bit rubbery in places, it's a good monster suit. Yeah, okay, they try not to show close-ups of it too much until the very end. The close-ups are okay, to be perfectly honest. And I think the problem is that American Werewolf in London's effects are so good, everything that followed it has a very high bar to match. This almost does it. It clearly didn't have the budget at its disposal as the American Werewolf had. It's decently budgeted, but you can tell that some of the stuff is a victim of how little money they may have had to spend on the effects. They're still good they still work so i'm not gonna slag the effects off in this movie they might be a little bit dated now but i've seen recent werewolf movies that the effects are absolute shit compared to this and these are werewolf movies that have come out in the last two three years so ginger snaps cannot be embarrassed about his special effects they're pretty good yeah completely agree with you there and i think for horror practical effect is always the winner it's having that more realistic look about it rather than something computer generated it's that one that's going to give you that visceral visual then that's what i think with that and especially with werewolf movies as well i have a big problem if it's cgi as we said with curse like it just doesn't look right it looks too fake and 
at least it then shows as well that the filmmakers have really cared about their craft when they go with the practical effects that they really want to work hard on this and make something almost convincing so um definitely with horror practical effects all the way i think in more higher budget films like i don't mind the cgi at all in blockbuster action movies that's fine but i think in horror i just like to see as realistic blood as possible yeah i like to see the actors getting splattered with stuff digital blood almost looks really really fake to me you can tell when the actors have been splattered with goo and pus and blood and all sorts of fake nastiness doesn't come across in sort of a cgi rendering of that so regardless of how unconvincing it is i will always take the practical effects it doesn't matter i've seen monster movies like for instance uh, the other night i saw night beast the don dola movie it's nonsense the monster isn't really all that convincing it looks like something out of a british sci-fi movie of the 70s but i don't care because they show the monster all the time and you do get used to it it might not be the most convincing sci-fi monster you've ever seen but it's great that you see it all the time and and they've pushed it in front of the camera and they want you to see the monster and that gives it a lot of credit to be perfectly honest it doesn't matter that it's not particularly convincing the fact that they've had the balls to stick it in front of the camera pretty much for the first 20-25 minutes of Night Beast, that original sort of feeling of good grief, the monster looks a bit shit, it dissipates because they just keep showing it and it's like, you know what, I'm going with this because they've had the guts to show it and show it all the time. And that, for me, is a much better approach than just falling back on lazy CGI that isn't anywhere as convincing anyway. Because, as we've said a million times, Cursed is the example of terrible CGI. I would rather have a guy in a werewolf suit than the... Or a girl. Or a girl. Or a girl. In werewolf suit discriminate. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, somebody in a werewolf suit, regardless of how inconvincing the werewolf suit is, I'd have taken that any day of the week over the CGI in Cursed because if you see somebody in a suit, at least you know that there's somebody on the set and they're throwing their weight into the performance. It's somebody acting against nothing with CGI. And as good an actor as people are, acting against nothing is quite hard. It doesn't feel right. And you can kind of tell when they're reacting to something that isn't on the set with them. It could be the scrattiest werewolf costume ever. And I would think, I'm taking this over CGI because at least it's practical. There's somebody in the costume. There's somebody genuinely going for it on set. Definitely. And another point to Ginger Snaps is it is set on Halloween. So it's just the backdrop for the movie. It's not really in your face Halloween, but it's kind of nice that you've got that element there, that it's the autumnal season. It just has beautiful aesthetics to it and gives you those really cosy Halloween movie vibes. So it's definitely one to watch this time of year to really fully feel its effect. So I really did appreciate that about it. So all I can say is this is probably my current top pick for a Halloween werewolf movie that you should get watched this Halloween season. Make it top of your list because it's the best rewatch of a horror movie I've seen in a while. And I just still absolutely love this film and I can't wait to revisit it next time. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 114 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening.
And if you'd like to keep up to date with our episodes, we are on social media, on Facebook, X and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. We'd love to have you over there if you'd like to join us. We continue with our delve into wolf movies next week. We're probably going with one of the goriest wolf movies that I can remember in recent memory. Nah, not really. We're going to do something a bit more family friendly, a bit more kiddie oriented. We're going to be joining Michael J. Fox in an early appearance. You've guessed it. We're going to do Team Wolf. Yeah, don't say you don't get any variety on this podcast because when it comes to a subject, we will pull it from all genres. So hope you enjoy next week's episode. We can't wait to revisit Team Wolf and we'll see you next time. Yes, till then. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Did you forget something? I'm not sure I did forget anything that episode. Oh, hang on a minute. Yes, I did forget something. Uh, Beware the moon, everybody. See you next week. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.